Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hey, Dirk, so great to have you here. Thank you for coming on and spending this time with me. Thanks, Angela. It's an honor to be here. Why don't we start with just taking a few minutes and tell the audience a little bit about you and what you do? Okay. Well, um, I do multiple things. I am a book author. I am a sobriety coach and I am a podcaster. I also happen to be a public relations consultant, but that's not related to the topic here. But I work uh, with people who are either trying to get sober or who are already sober. I myself am sober as well. I've been sober since 2007. And I have dedicated a great deal of my time in recovery to helping others experience the the positive, wonderful aspects of of sobriety that I've experienced. Oh, I love all of that. How early in your recovery did you know that you wanted to help others? Like, did you know immediately that you wanted it to be your work or like, what was your journey in that? Not that it wa- I wanted it to be my work. No, um, it was. I, I got sober in, a, in the twelve step program, um, and a big part of that program has an emphasis on helping others, being of service to others. And I took to that pretty quickly, pretty well. Um, within after I got my first year of sobriety, I started going out and doing whatever I could to help other people who were struggling um, with alcoholism and addiction. Um, and I did that in a variety of different ways. So as, in terms of uh, helping others, I did it as a part of my own recovery. For many years, I worked with other people in the 12-step program. And what happened was, over time, people started coming to me that were outside of the program. Just, you know, as most of us know, if we're in recovery, we will soon discover that a lot of our friends and family members struggle with addiction of some kind. And so people started to come to me in my life, in my personal life, because they were seeing the dramatic and positive changes in my life. And so people started coming to me on a pretty regular basis, friends, family members and whatnot, asking me questions about recovery. You know, what did you do? What is sobriety like? You know, what, what is, what has your experience been? How did you get sober? What was your life like as an addict versus your sober life? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I would do whatever I could to help anybody I can, you know, could and still do. And what I found is it was incredibly, um, gratifying to me. And it helped, it gave me a sense of purpose. And most importantly, and this is something that's of course emphasized in the 12-step program, it helped me stay sober. It helped my sobriety by helping other people in in their recovery. And so over time, I got the idea that I wanted to start writing about my experiences. I had always wanted to be a writer. Um, it is something that I wanted to be since I was about 14 years old. Um, but I put it aside so that I could drink, (laughs) um, and never got to it. Um, had some, some failed attempts, but in my recovery, I decided I wanted to start exploring my own experience in recovery and share it with as many people as I could, um, through books, 
And so I started writing my first book. And my first book is called The Sober Journey, A Guide to Prayer and Meditation in Recovery. Because prayer and meditation is a big part of my recovery. So I wrote this book. And I had one of my friends in recovery, um, who's a sober friend of mine. She is an editor, and she edited it for me. And we got the book out and it did really well and it still does really well. And I, I, I found that I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing nonfiction books. I always, always want to be a fiction writer, but I found that I'm better at writing nonfiction books. So I just kept writing books. I went on this spurt of about two years and I ended up writing five books on addiction and recovery and what my experience has been like and all the different aspects of recovery. Uh, and it was really gratifying. It was really fun and, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm still doing it. And along the way, I realized instead of just constantly pursuing a business career, which I also do, I, I'm also a business person on the side, but um, I wanted to expand my ability to help others in recovery any way I could. And so I slowly began to, I put out a YouTube channel and started expressing myself through, through videos. And then um, I got a little TikTok channel and, and just, and I found that the response was really strong. There was a lot of people out there around my age range. I'm in my late fifties um, who were thinking about getting sober, you know, cause a lot of people that I deal with and work with are people in their thirties and forties and fifties that want to get sober. Cause that's kind of the age range that I find that a lot of people want to get sober and it just seemed like a natural fit. And I started putting out this information, sharing it on social media you know, as a part of a way to promote my books as well. But somewhere along the way, I realized that what I really want to do is help people who don't necessarily want to get sober in the 12 step program, because it's not for everybody. It works for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. Um, and some people are really reluctant to be in groups. I know I was, I'm a very shy person by nature, and it was really hard for me to get used to being in a group of people, small or me large meetings. Now I'm fine with it, but, and talking in front of people and so I decided I would explore and go to the next stage of being able to help people. And um, I went out and became certified as a sobriety coach or a recovery coach, which you're familiar with, of course, and just kind of expanded from there. So I went from writing books to going into social media channels to sobriety coaching. And that's kind of where I find myself now. Now I'm doing a podcast and all that. And, you know, <laughs> and it's all, and it's all just part of my my sober journey, my, you know, and my podcast is called Sober Mofos. And I'm, I just do my best to help as many people as I can. Yeah, for sure. It's so important to, to outline all of those pieces, because when people are at the very beginning and thinking about getting sober, you're trying to figure out what is your life going to look like? What is this going to be like? Can I do it? Is it going to be horrible? Is it going to be so hard, you know? Yeah. And and what will, how will my job be? Because so many people connect drinking to their job, you know, especially like sales and whatever you have a job that you have to take people out to dinner and things like that. For me, I was a bartender, right? Like right. it makes you question every piece of your life. And what is this going to be like? The truth is there's no way that you can sit at day one and imagine what your life is going to be like. Because if we tried to figure out, if I tried to figure out 17 years ago what my sober life was going to look like at 17 years, I couldn't tell you any piece of this. First of all, because podcasts didn't exist, right? right, right. So I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have known that. 
I, I might've been able to guess the coaching part because I had always been fascinated with coaching, but I never thought it would be my career. Even when I got certified as a life coach, I never thought it would be my career, right? Like I could have never figured out what my life was going to look like at day one, because you have to just let it unfold. So I love that you just laid out that journey. And it is truly that one step takes you to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. And you have to be open to a certain degree, not trying to control every step, but open to letting the steps present themselves. Like this is your next thing. Maybe you should try this. Maybe this is the right thing. You know, you can't micromanage and figure out every single piece of your journey in advance. Right. And I, I find, I've always found that, you know, I, I refer to myself as a grateful alcoholic because discovering I was an alcoholic and all of that entails allowed me to open up my life because up to that point, my life was very small. Uh, it was, you know, I thought I was living at large, you know, living this this lifestyle, but by, you know, looking back and, and what you come out of it, you realize that lifestyle if you're an active alcoholic or addict like I am and I was, my life was very limited and very small and very restricted to a few things, you know, mostly hangovers and drinking, you know, I mean, and and, and whatever fell in between, you know, to earn money and, and pay the rent was, you know, a side note. <laughs> my life consisted of focusing on drinking. And once I got sober, it, it like kind of pulled, I don't know, what's the metaphor I want to use? It, it kind of pulled the, the, the shades from my eyes. It, it, you know, there's, there's a, you know, it gave me a new perspective on life that I could see things, you know, the forest for the trees sort of analogy where I could see that I was living a really small life. And there were so many things I wanted out of this, this time on earth that I've been given this limited finite time that I've been given. And I wasn't, get, I wasn't achieving any of it. And I was, when I got sober, I was 43 years old and I would you know, I had good jobs. I drove a nice car and all that, but you know, it was like, so what, you know, I'm miserable and I'm not happy and I'm lonely and I'm, my life was just small. So once I got sober, it just expanded my life so much. But as you said, I had to learn. And this is one of the, the great sayings that I always emphasize to people is I had to learn to live life on life's terms and do it one step at a time, one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, just to live my life and to learn and to grow and not be so, not to, not to be too impatient and take it as it comes. I always like to say that I had to learn to, to flow with the river, uh, to flow with, you know, whatever was, wherever the river was going to take me, I had to go. There's a, there's a um, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with John Candy. Mm-hmm. Okay, you remember that? Yeah. So when I was still drinking. I used to, I I had a set of movies I used to watch when I was really, really hungover, when I was miserable. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of those movies. I would sit there and, you know, eat cheeseburgers and watch that movie and and just kind of recover my my morning hangovers, my daily hangovers. And there's a line in there where John Candy refers to himself as being like a, like a twig on, on the shoulders of a mighty river. And at the time it was like, when I would listen to it, I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. Once I got sober, I watched that movie again and it took on a whole new meaning for me. And it became this profound thing. And it sounds trite, but it was this profound moment where I'm like, oh, that's kind of the secret that I've been looking for. I've got to be, you know, a twig on the shoulders of a mighty river and just let it take me where it's going to go. Because as an addict or an alcoholic, we have a tendency, we have big egos and low self-esteem. You know, we're, we're self-loathing narcissists is what I like to call it. 
And our mode of operation is to try and to get our hands around the throat of life and strangle it into submission and do it the way we want it to do it. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, it doesn't. And once I learned that, and it took a long time, it didn't happen overnight. It took a long time for me to, to, uh, to absorb it. And I'm still working on it. You know, I still have my moments. But once I learned to just kind of let go, um, I have my faith that I rely on that helps me. But to let go, let people be the way they want to be. Let every outcome, you know, take on its own flavor and, and move me in the direction it's going to go. And I can just show up and do my best every day, be the best man I can be, be hardworking, be diligent, be responsible, but understanding that life is not going to work exactly the way I want it to do. And I have to learn one little step at a time. Like you were saying, just, just to expand and to grow and to learn and just become, and all of a sudden I look back and I've got over 15 years of recovery and my life is dramatically different. I mean, it's, you I can't even compare it. You know, from being in alleyways to, you know, smoke and crack with gangbangers and homeless people to owning a home and two cars and, 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 and being married and, and being happy and healthy and going to the gym and having a couple businesses. And, you know, it's just huge. I mean, it's just dramatic. It happened one little step right. at a time as I learned and grew and let life kind of just take me where it was going to take me. Yeah, it is. You're exactly right. It's like taking the blinders off yeah. when you get sober. You know, when I was drinking, like I just, I had blinders. I had one sole focus yep. and everything kind of revolved. And I was very high functioning also, yeah. but everything kind of revolved around drinking. I always say I was either planning it, doing it or recovering from <laughs> yeah. it. Those were my three, yeah. my three phases of life, right? Day to day. That's where I was in one of those three stages, but it is like you have blinders and that's all um, your commitment to your addiction is so powerful. Yeah. And when you get sober and you can kind of exhale and just take a breath, like those blinders come off and you see there's this entire freaking world yeah. that you have not been a part of. And you have the freedom to do so many more things because you're not saddled to this thing that has so much power and control in your life. It's amazing. And I agree with you. I've been, I literally have gotten to be two entirely different people yeah. in one lifetime. Right. Like I am unrecognizable today from 20 years ago, for sure. You know, I'm 17 years sober, but 20 years ago, I was a very different human yeah. being. Yeah. You know, what's funny too, is like when I, when I got sober, I just, assumed, I, I mean, this is so funny to look back at and so naive, but I just assumed that everybody was doing the same thing I was doing, that everybody was Me obsessed too. with drinking and, you know, going to a yes. social, social event required not, not, you know, cause I never just had a glass of wine. I had to have, I had to be drunk before I got there, drink when I got there, drink after, but I was just assumed that everybody was drinking the way I was doing or, you know, yeah, me too. snorting what I was snorting or doing whatever I was doing. No, I just assumed it was like crazy. And so when I got sober, it slowly dawned on me. It's like, not everybody's obsessed over drinking, you know, not everybody's like, you're just saying, planning it and, 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 and recovering from it. And I would go to restaurants and I would see people with a glass of wine on their table and across, you know, next to me. And it would take them an hour to finish it. And I was just shocked by that. I was like, what is, what is wrong with these people? And, and it, it took me, and it, and it slowly dawned on me. It's like, I'm just one of this small, you know, niche of people, this, this group of people who happens to be an alcoholic, who uh, is obsessed with this thing in a bottle. And it has nothing to do with the liquid itself. It's what's in my mind and in my soul. That's the problem. Yeah. That's where the, the, right. the problem resides. But 
I just thought everybody was obsessed with drinking and everybody was planning it and, 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 and preparing for it and recovering for it all the time. Like I wasn't, and you get out there and you find out it's like, no, they're really not. Most people are just going about their business, raising their families, going to work, having a nice, nice life. <laughs> it's so and, true. Yeah. It's so true. And I was the same way, especially being a bartender yeah. because that was my environment. I mean, I was just surrounded by alcohol all the time and people that drank alcohol all the time. I thought that's what everybody was doing. And I remember it sounds so crazy now with recent history being what it is, but the first time I heard somebody talk about never having a drink was Donald Trump. And he was Uh, in an interview. And I mean, it was probably 20, 25 years ago, you know, and I remember seeing him in this interview and he said he had never had a drink of alcohol and he had never smoked a cigarette. And I was a smoker for 20 years too. And I remember hearing that and I was shocked. I was like, there are people that don't drink. Uh, Like I didn't even know that was an option. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's just like water or air. (laughs) Yes. In my little alcoholic brain, it was just a matter of In your of small survival. little world. That's true. <laughs> and, and we surround ourselves with people that reinforce that too. When we're in our, in our yeah. addiction, it's like, you know, I, 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 I've written about this fairly extensively too, that, you know, when I finally got clean, I was like looking around and I had to let go of, you know, and this scares people a lot, but I had to let go of, you know, the vast majority of my friends and companions, many of whom have not made it out and have died, but I had to let go of them and, and just say, and, you know, just, you know, because I, my world was so small and it was so contained. It was so focused on drinking and drugging and, and all that. And that I had to rebuild. It's kind of going back to the small steps. I had to rebuild and gather and start gathering friends again and, and over, you know, spending time with people who were not consumed with drinking or trying to recover from their drinking life. And so it was a big change. It was, it was very dramatic to, to find out that Again, not everybody is obsessed with this and that um, there is a world um, and quite a, quite a positive and healthy world outside of those circles, outside of those social circles, the bar circle and the party circle and the party circuit and all that. And, you know, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a tough transition, but worth it, worth it to find out. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, it's not much different than any other life transition, Mm. right? Like I know as I got older and a lot of my friends started getting married and having kids, like moms tend to want to hang out with other moms, right? So some of those friendships start to shift. Like when you get out of college, you don't hang out with all of the people that you hung out with in college for the rest of your life. Like you hang on to a couple of them for sure, but it's just a transition as your life changes and you do different things. Or I would think it's probably the same thing if you have a job for a long time and you have those work friends, when you transition to a new job, those relationships are going to change and be different because you're not working next to them all day, every day. So it isn't unlike other areas of life. And I think people overly stress about this aspect, like what's going to happen to all my friends, but it's like, really, this is a regular life transition that we go through many, many, many times. And I would say even as an entrepreneur, like I have lost friends on that journey too, where, because they don't understand my drive or how I live, or they don't see the big picture vision that I see and can be very negative and discouraging. And I have to let those people go, right? Because I don't, I can't have that energy around me. So 
I do think that those friendship transitions are a little more normal than people make them out to be when they're thinking about getting sober. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think a, a lot of the the letting go of the lifestyle, as we'll call it, the lifestyle, the drinking lifestyle, the partying lifestyle. You know, it, it's it's hard because you're you're letting go of much more than you're, you're you're transitioning out. You're letting go of much more than just the social interactions or social contacts. It is your, um, for me, certainly it was, it's, it's your emotional medicine. You know, it's, it's, it's that thing that gives you strength. You think anyway, it's, it's false, but right. it's what gives you emotional strength, spiritual strength. I mean, it's not an accident that it's called spirits, but it gives you your spiritual strength and, and, and all these, you know, these things that, you know, human beings need. And so if, if that's all, you know, or that's what you've come to rely on is your, you know, your emotional strength, your spiritual strength, your mental strength from drinking or using that transition is tough. And I understand it. I get it. I believe I was, I had a re, I was scared to, to, to let go of that. It was really frightening. It was like, yeah. well, what, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to handle life? I don't know how to do it. And I was like, a, I was like a, cause I started drinking when I was 12. So when I got sober, I was like 12 because I hadn't matured. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. I, 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 I wore, clothes, you know, men's, men's clothes, you know, and, and I paid rent, but emotionally I had not matured at all. I was, I was a little boy and it was scary. And it was, it was scary to come out of that and realize, Oh God, I gotta, I gotta rely, you know, not only I gotta rely on myself, I gotta rely on other people and I gotta trust other people. And that was a real hard thing to do. It's tough. It is a difficult transition. Um, but it can certainly be done. Hell, if I could do it, (laughs) I don't know if anybody can. I know, right? That's what I say too. I'm like, you guys, I swear, yeah. if I can get sober and change my life, I promise you, yep. you can. Yep. Because I was a disaster. Yep. Yep. Oh, <laughs> In oh, every oh. way, I was a disaster. Oh, man, yeah. I just think about my, my early recovery, just the amount of crying I did and the amount of just upheaval, emotional upheaval. I, I, did, I just didn't know where to turn. There were, there were times I just... I w- I had this habit. My my sponsor told me like if you're ever having a freak out, you know, first call me of course, but you know, if you can't reach me or whatever, you know, I, he knew I was a, I'm a sugar I love sugar. I love sweets. So my my thing was is every night I would, you know, instead of drinking, I would drink I would eat a pint of of um of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. That was my thing. Or or a big bag of donuts. I put on a lot of weight. And they're like I I that's fine. Whatever. I lost it eventually, but I just had to turn to something. I had to have that fix, you know, just mm-hmm. to get me through the night. And I, you just got to do whatever you can do to get through it. But those early days, boy, they can be rough, but it's, it's, I, you know, I guess the analogy is birth, you know, it's, it can be, it, you go through the pain for something that, you know, is beautiful in the long run. And, and, and sobriety yeah. certainly has been worth it for me. Whatever, whatever discomfort I had to go through to, to make that transition was certainly worth it. Yeah. And, you know, I have a story that's a little bit different where my beginning was pretty dreamy. You know, like I didn't, I had stress because I had a major legal case looming over me my whole first year. And I was, I was facing a a substantial piece of jail time. Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, I wasn't super stressed about it. Like I was fully in that place of surrender. Like it happened. There's nothing I can do. There's, I can't get out of this. Right. So whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I will take it as it comes. And that's all I can do. I just wanted to focus on making sure I didn't go back to drinking. That's all I cared about. Right, right. And 
it's one of the things I'm so grateful for 12 steps and for not being super freaked out about it because I was so open to go there, right? Of course, back then too, there weren't all the other options that there are now either. You know, it was kind of the only house on the block for getting sober, but I was fine that I had to go there because all I cared about was not drinking. I didn't really care what they were doing in there. As long as I didn't drink, I was going to show up. And what that did for me is, number one, it allowed me to relax and just take all the weight off. You know, I just followed simple directions. I didn't have to figure anything out. I didn't have to make any decisions. I just had to show up and sit down and shut up. And that was all. And and really, to be honest with you, that's all I could have pulled off. You know, if it would have been, if it would have been any more than that, I probably would have fallen apart. But I also had a built-in new family and then, you know, eventually made really great friends. So I didn't have any, I just didn't have a lot of discomfort early on. I was having a lot of fun. I was super excited about the prospect of my new life and probably a little bit addicted to hope at that point because I had no idea what my new life would look like. I just knew it couldn't possibly be as bad as what I just lived through, you know? So I just had all this hope of what it could be. And I was just on board for that. I didn't miss my old life. I wasn't mad about it. I wasn't mad about having to get sober. I was so excited to just move forward and have that freedom because I felt like I had been held prisoner to alcohol for so long, Mm. you know, and I just was so grateful to be done with it. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's my experience. Like when I first got sober, I was, I, I wanted, I wanted to be away from alcohol and I wanted to be sober so bad because I was in so much pain. Um, I was brought to my knees pretty, pretty hard. You know, it was a pretty harsh, um, rock bottom, I guess you call it whatever, but it, it was, it was pretty bad. Things got pretty rough. Um, and so I wanted that relief so badly, but one thing I struggled with, and it was it's something I didn't even know about myself. This is what's so fascinating about recovery. I didn't realize, I, cause I always thought I was an outgoing extrovert and it turns out I, I'm very introverted and I'm very quiet and Me I'm very too. shy and I'm talking on a podcast right now and that's fine. But you know, I'm doing this just, just to kind of express myself and hopefully help somebody. But my nature is to be quiet and reserved. I, you know, I go to social events. If my wife and I go, she knows that I don't say very much. I stay in the back, you know, I'm just kind of quiet and, you know, I will engage in conversation if I think you're interesting, <laughs> but I had to learn that, holy crap, I'm not extroverted. I'm not the lampshade guy that I always thought I was, you know, and that's what booze kind of created in me and cocaine is as well. It brought out that Mr. Lampshade, you know, the guy is always on and, and uh, you know, never shutting up and, and always, you know, hitting on people and being inappropriate and just basically being a jerk. And what I realized, and, and then, then I get sober and I'm going to 12-step meetings and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm so, because I'm shy, I'm uncomfortable. What I realized, and I tell this, I emphasize this to people all the time, people who are un- uncomfortable with meetings is, don't worry about it. If you want to, and the old timers will tell you this is the wrong approach. I don't care. Sit in the back, sit in the show back, up late, <laughs> leave early, 
just sit through the meeting, get through the beginning, the middle, the end. I, I, I know the hand holding at the end sucks, you know, for, for newcomers and stuff, but it's okay. If you're shy, you're getting the information. When you're ready, you'll move to the second next seat up and then you'll be towards the middle. I mean, as long as you're in the middle of that meeting, eventually you're going to be fine. But it's okay to be uncomfortable, to not be comfortable around people and to be, and to be shy, to be introverted. That was a huge revelation for me. It's like, oh my God, this explains so much about my life and my discomfort around people, my desire to go to parties, but never being comfortable at parties until I got drunk. Um, you know, yeah. my real shyness around um, women and dating, that was always a big issue. I, I really struggled with that. So I ended up, in, I basically always ended up in alcoholic relationships because we'd just be drunk together. All my relationships were right. built on booze right. um, until I met my wife. Um, and that's that's built on sobriety. Um, but it, it explains so much. And, and that was like, a, that was a, that's why in many ways, I think my early recovery for me was so traumatic, I guess was, was, I don't know, traumatic. I loved it and I wanted to be there. I knew I need to be there, but it was, it was a difficult transition. Those, those early days for me. And, and I think a lot of people experience that, that kind of overwhelming shock of being sober around other human beings is like, it's weird. You know, it's very strange yeah. and I'm still not hundred percent, you know, I've been sober over 15 years. I'm still not hundred percent comfortable around people. And I get in crowds and I get, I'm yeah. like, oh God, when can I get out of here? <laughs> you know? But I do whatever I, I know. Do. I say, yeah. I say that I say to my audience all the time, like I am the queen of like faking a headache yeah. and leaving, yeah. you know, even if it's people that I know and like and enjoy, sure. like I just, my anxiety will kick in. Yep. I'm, I'm exactly the same what you said, right? I thought I was an extrovert, but what I realized is I was just drunk. Yep. I was never an extrovert. Yep. I was just drunk, yep. right? Which allowed me to be more of an extrovert. But yeah, it is, all of those things are challenging. And and I had a lot of that anxiety too. I just knew I had to go. Sure. I knew I had to stay sober. Like yeah. it was not optional. Mm -hmm. And I just forced myself, you know, like I started very small. Like I made myself start making eye contact, you know, because at first I'm walking in eyes down, you know, handshakes. And so handshakes. I started yeah. just making eye contact. Oh no, no, I was not touching anybody, uh, but uh. <laughs> it had to start just with eye contact. And then when I got comfortable with making eye contact, then I graduated to eye contact and a smile. And then I do eye contact, a smile and hello. And the deal I made with myself is I had to do, it had to be a different person every single day. Mm. So I couldn't just get comfortable with one person and go through this. Like it had to be a different person each day. And that's what I did. And I just challenged myself. You know, what's interesting. You say that I, I, I remember this so clearly, um, in, 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 12 step meetings, you know, you're, it, there's a big emphasis on being of service and taking on a, 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 a you know, like making the coffee or doing some kind of task, setting up the chairs, or whatever. And I used to go to this big meeting up on, um, it was right off La Brea and Sunset in Los Angeles. And it was on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. It was big. And it was filled with tons of people. Everybody was good looking. There was movie stars and everything. And I was terrified. I'm like, God, I don't believe, I don't belong here. Even amongst, uh, amongst a bunch of alcoholics and addicts, I still felt like the outsider, you know, like they're going to be, you know, I felt it was imposter syndrome and all that. And then somebody, I was a few months in, probably six months in, and somebody um, freed up the greeter um, commitment, which is where you stand at the door with a couple other people and you just welcome people and say welcome. And you look for the people who are who look terrified because they're new and you shake their hand and you say hi. And it had this massive impact on my on my recovery. 
And so for the first time, that was the first time I started feeling comfortable going to meetings because I was the greeter. So right. it, it was my job to make sure that people felt welcome, you know, and I would have to look at them like you're saying. I had to look them in the eye. I had to shake their hand or say some stupid joke, whatever, and just, you know, get them inside. And if I saw somebody who looked really scared, that gave me an opportunity to be of service to them and, and you know, put my arm around them right. and say, hey, sit next to me or whatever it was, you know, and it was just this great experience and it brought me out of myself and it started breaking that, the sort of melting the ice, so to speak, of my tremendous yeah. sense of shyness and introversion in the meetings. And it really had a profound impact on my life and my recovery. It was really interesting. I, re I remember the first time I walked into my meeting, like obviously super early on. I remember the first time I walked in and of course I hadn't spoken to anybody and I was the typical like show up a couple of minutes late yeah. so you didn't have to talk to anybody, right? <laughs> But, and I never shared, right. I never shared even to this day. I rarely will share, you know? So I was always like, Hey everybody, I'm Angela. I'm an alcoholic. I'm just going to listen today. And I'd be like, thanks Angela. And it goes on. And I remember the first time I walked in and somebody goes, Hey Angela, good to see you. And I was like, Oh yeah, they know my name. Yeah. I'm a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I felt like a freaking rock star. I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. somebody. I had the same, me. same exact experience. Yep. And it was yep. this, yep. it was one of those moments that all that anxiety kind of fell away. And it was, it was the very moment that I started to feel like I belong. Yep. Right. That I was okay. That I was in the right place and I was okay. Yep. I mean, I had a sense of, from my first meeting at my home group, especially, like I knew these were my people. It was the first place I had ever been in my life that I felt like I was surrounded by my people. Like this yes. was my tribe, yes. you know, I yes. fit here. And so I had that sense from my first meeting, but it took, a, you know, that when that person said hi to me, I was probably only, I don't know, 10, 12 days in, and I was going every single day, you know, it, but it was, it was that little tiny moment that made all the difference. And so much of that anxiety started to melt away. Completely relate to that. I had the same exact same story. Somebody said my name and Hey, Jer Hey Dirk. You know, as I walked in, I was like, what? <laughs> Who is this guy? And how does he yeah. know me? And I was kind of saying a moment of paranoia, but but it, it made me feel like I belonged. And the best part of it is when I was able to turn that around and become the guy who said that to somebody else, who saw the newcomer. I was who, just who, getting know. ready to go there. Yeah. Yes. And that is, that is why it's so important to like, especially in groups, human nature, people have a tendency to get very judgy. And this is one of the things that I always think about. It's like, why do you want to judge somebody who looks uncomfortable or who is having a hard time yeah. or who is crying? Like, why do you want to judge that person? Because you have no idea what they're going through. Yeah. We've all been there, mm. right? We have all been. When people are walking through those doors, they are literally usually at the worst space in their life. Yep. It is the hardest time in your life, right? Something at least semi-tragic has usually happened. You are completely broken. And I'm like, that is your opportunity to be of service and do something to help that person feel more yeah, comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. It's Instead of judging, say a kind word. Yes. Or if you catch yourself judging, then go call your sponsor and work it out. Yes. But, you know, like have that service mindset. How can I make this better for the next person coming in? Right. And then you can also, what's also fantastic about 
this type of recovery is then you, you take it outside of the rooms and you take it into the other parts of your life. It doesn't have to be in recovery. And then it's like, it's a big lesson that a lot of us learn because we come into those rooms and and we're wounded animals and we're defensive or scared. It's like any animal who's wounded and cornered. It's not going to be nice to you. It's going to bite you. Um, but eventually, you know, it's, you, if you can build up enough trust and everything and you can start to feel comfortable, then you can become the person that takes this lesson of, of, of kindness and compassion and patience towards others outside. It doesn't have to just be for people who are in recovery yeah. or addiction. You know, you can take it to your grocery store, you know, just to help yeah. others. And it can be in the simplest, most, you know, little small moments of, of life, but you can take that compassion outside and help others. And, and it changes. And it goes back to what we're talking about being a grateful alcoholic. You know, it teaches you um, whether you get recovery, recovery in the 12 step program or anything else, you can learn how to be more, just more compassionate and, and, and open to, mm-hmm. to others and, and less judgmental and take that into all as, aspects of your life. And that, that is one of the great things about, you know, what we're discussing is the rooms of, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 step program. And, 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 you know, it's, it's just, it's amazing how, how much we can learn and grow from just recovery alone, you know, and that's just one part of our lives. Incredible. It is. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say, I mean, you've been sober a long time. What would you say is the most difficult time you've gone through in your sobriety and how did you stay sober? Uh, when my father died, um, he died. So I got sober in my, my sobriety day is, uh, December 9th, 2007. And I had almost exactly three years of recovery when he, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I had, I was close to my dad. We had a difficult, you know, complicated relationship like most father, sons and moms and, you know, daughters, you know, it was complicated. Um, but I, I, I adored him and I, 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 he was, I, I was very close to him in many ways. And three years, almost three years of the day, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I, I, I said this to, to people that I know that that God brought me to this moment of recovery so that I could handle this because this is going to get rough yeah. and it got rough. So he ended up living for another three years. Um, and I spent the last few months of his recovery. I was, I was at the time I was living in, in Tahoe and my, the woman I was dating, who's now my wife was living in Los Angeles and my father was in San Francisco. So I was triangulating and I was driving back and mm-hmm. forth and flying back and forth, mostly driving back and forth to see everybody and be the best I could be to, to the person I was falling in love with, as well as my father who was leaving us. And it got to the point where I finally had to move down to his apartment. My brothers and I were taking care of him in shifts and um, it got really, really bad. And he began to disintegrate. His, his um, cancer was very aggressive form of bladder cancer. And um, he was not ready to go. And I took everything that I had learned from Alcoholics Anonymous and my recovery and my sponsor, Paul, and, and I brought it into that room because he died in his apartment in San Francisco. And we had a bed set up and I was there by his side pretty much virtually every day. And I was at the time, my, my, um, stepmother, she's gone. She's passed away. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's while he was dying of cancer. So she was like a little child Mm -hmm. and she was, she couldn't remember anything. And we had to figure this out. My father was in denial and we had to figure it out and get her, you know, take her to the doctor and find out what was going on with her. And Found out. So now I'm um, my brother, and I'm not taking all the credit myself. My brothers were were 100 with me, but we were dealing with somebody with Alzheimer's who we who we loved and adored dearly. With my father who was disintegrating in front of our eyes, 
and she still liked to have her wine and she liked to have her a couple glasses of wine every night. We we're a drinking family. And my father towards the end had to have morphine. Now I love booze and I love morphine. <laughs> I love them both. And so it was a real challenge for me to get through that. And I was, any chance I could get, I was going down to the marina to some meetings down there. And I was like you, I was never, I never spoke a lot in meetings. I share, I, I, I'm, I've been a speaker a thousand times, but I'm not one of the guys who raises his hands a lot. Yeah. Um, but those meetings I was sharing yeah. like, like crazy. I was, cause I was, I was really struggling. So between all that, I managed between the meetings and my 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 constant prayer and my constant reaching out to 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 my faith, um, I I got through it and and working with my family and I there were times when I wanted to drink so badly and it was like I knew if I could just you know once he would fall asleep and 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 my stepmother would fall asleep in her bedroom and I was sleeping on the couch. You know, I knew that it would be so easy for me to, to drink and no one would ever know. No one would ever know. But, you know, thankfully I was talking to my wife who's in recovery every day and I was talking to my sponsor and I was going to meetings and I got through it. And, you know, and, you know, he, he actually died. I was sleeping. I was laying on the couch right next to him when he died. And I'm so grateful that I was there. And it was gruesome. It was not a, there was nothing peaceful about this death. It was a it was a brutal experience, but I'm yeah. glad I was there and I was sober. And I thank God, literally, for allowing me to be a hundred percent present for my dad and for my brothers and for my entire family and for myself, just to be there. Because I mean, if I had been my old drunk, drugged up self, I wouldn't have showed up most of the time. You know, or I would have been drunk all night, or I wouldn't have been stealing money, or you know, doing whatever I could. It would have just, you know, huge difference. And I was there, and I was present, and um, I got to say goodnight to him every night and tell him I love him every single night, and uh, just be there for him, you know, and take care of him as best I could. Um, and and my stepmother as well, who we also just lost a couple of years ago. But um, so yeah, that was the biggest challenge. That was a huge challenge. But through the grace of God, and through the program, and through my sponsor and my wife, and but not in my meetings. I got through it. It's so beautiful to be a blessing to your family and not a liability. Yeah. yeah, it's a big difference. Yes, it is. You know, because imagine like I was just thinking when you were talking about that and you said it, like if you had been drinking through it, what would that have looked like? Right. And I was just thinking like, I would have been a hundred percent a liability. Like yeah. I would have sucked all the air out of the room with everybody then worrying about me and what am I doing and what's my behavior going to be like and am I going to be okay? Like, yeah, it would have been a whole different yeah. set of circumstances. It would have been about me instead of about been, them, yeah. And it's like, you know, about yeah, them, they right, me. They don't right. need any more of me. I am a full-time yeah, job. Right. <laughs> well, Dirk, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. I love having these incredible recovery conversations with people. And I just really appreciate you being open with your story. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, I, I enjoy it too. It's a fascinating topic and it never gets Amen old. Amen to that. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's great. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.